Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Yo, what up, G's? This is Peyton Jones, and I am here to tell you about Logos Bible Software. If you have not checked out Logos Bible Software, they have entire libraries on there. They have word search tools. They have tools in the original language. They have concordances, uh, maps, you name it. It's all up there. Check out Logos.com. Check out the Bible Software package that's going to make your life a whole heck of a lot easier. Pete Mitchell is my pastor, wise in the use of the force. He is. Hey, that was an old birthday present. <laughs> oh, the old birthday presents are always the best birthday presents. Oh, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So here we are. We're recording our first podcast of uh, 2019. Our first <laughs> fresh podcast. And it's only the 25th. Go figure. Well, you know, somebody was on vacation. Hey, hey, I, one of my New Year's resolutions was to uh, make sure I got a head start on everything. So One of my New Year's resolutions is the same as it's been the last uh, about three or four years. I want to drink more because <laughs> I know it's supposed to be good for you. And I'm like too lazy to have any alcoholic beverages. And yet you hardly ever drink. That's what I'm saying. That's, that's why I want to <laughs> drink more. I, I never drink. <clears throat> well, I have to say, now that I am no longer a Southern Baptist, what? I actually kept your New Year's resolution. No, well, I, let me say that I'm not. I am a Southern Baptist. So don't get me wrong. What? I let me correct myself. I no longer am full time employed by North American Mission Board, which you know they were wonderful and took great care of my family. So I'm extremely grateful. But I'm no longer under contract. So I went to the UK. And I had quite a few pints, and uh, not I think at the same I, time, not like in a row. You weren't <laughs> no. like, no, I am a lightweight. I'm telling you, it, it, I need to like have a pint and no more, right? And then uh, I ate meat pies like they were going out of. I mean, it was the meat pies. So, as, uh, needless to say, I've been back working out a lot. As a Californian, <laughs> I have no idea what a meat pie is. Oh my gosh, think of a, a beautiful water crust and chunks of steak and mushrooms and gravy. Okay, I don't know what pie. a water crust is because I know what water is and I know what crust is, but a water crust, I have no idea what you're talking about. It's just the best flakiest crust ever, Pete. I mean, you know, if I, if I end up doing like a cooking show, I'm just going to do meat pies. It's just going to all be meat pies. I think that should be the name of the cooking show. <laughs> <laughs> all be meat pies. And I think you should just do it. Maybe do it on Alexa. 
Who doesn't I mean, Alexa? I'd be like I'd be like Homer Simpson, you know, like meat pies all around my mouth, you know, like you know, just eating them. I could, I could just keep eating them. Uh, that's my favorite food over there. Nice. And if it's got peas in it and onions and ah, oh, it's amazing. It's like grandma's beef stew in a pie. So you were you were in the UK. I took a, a small little vacation up to uh, Big Bear. Kids had never seen snow before, so uh, that was new for them. Uh, interesting when we were up there. So we arrive. We did the uh, the whole VRBO, which is Airbnb, um, and uh, we had to wait until four o'clock to even get in line to to get the cabin. By then, everyone was in line. It was literally freezing weather, and everyone standing outside. I mean, the line took about forty five minutes to an hour to get our cabin because there's like one place up there that rents everybody's cabins out. Wow. And uh, so by then, everyone was starving. Mackenzie had already thrown up on the way up. I mean, it was like, we're hungry. We want to get to the cabin and just be done. Mm. So we're going through the line at McDonald's. Of course, we're taking the charger. And uh, I pay at the pay window. Then I drive up to the uh, delivery window. And I'm waiting for our food. And I kid you not, the guy right behind me hits my car. No. He hits my car. Why? Is he on his phone? I don't know. He's like, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I, I, I just wasn't paying attention. I'm like, dude, seriously? You hit Wait, my you, car. You were behind the wheel of a car and you weren't paying attention. Sounds like you're in a drive-through. You're in a drive-through. Like, what? What are you doing, man? What are you doing? And then he like gives me his ID, and it's like he's from Beverly Hills, nine zero two one zero. I'm like, you little rich kid, punk. Like that's he the, was. He wow. was from nine zero two one zero. I was like, you, you're a, just a rich kid, punk. Ah, oh, dude. The charger, the charger got run into. Didn't really do any wow. damage. I told me to have to pay to have it detailed. So you know, it's funny, man. I know somebody who um, grabs people's like when he's in confrontations, he makes them give him his their driver's license. Oh yeah, he gave me his driver. I said you can give me your driver's license, all your information. No, I mean, I mean like confrontations, not, not. Um... Oh, why? <laughs> There's usually a threat. Thanks. Now I know where where to find you if I ever need to. <laughs> That's terrible, isn't it? I I know who you're talking about too. That's all I'm saying. I know who you're talking you about. You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> like you don't even need to go any further with that story. I know who you're talking about. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's that's interesting, man. That's interesting. We bought a new car for Jamie the other night. You did. We did, and I didn't even have to yell. Did I stutter? <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't go. Hey, Jamie, look, I've been thinking you should have a new car, and and you can't say this part. But you're like, since my car just got hit, why don't you have the charger? You say that part. You know, well, sounds good. Then you buy a new one. Well, here's the thing: is so she wanted a, a Dodge Durango. Well. She, let me put it like this. She wanted a, a, a Land Rover, and I told her, no, you're getting a Dodge Durango. Because <laughs> I'm not spending that kind of money. That's ridiculous. Oh, is it? How much do those go for? Uh, well, they're all over, but, you know, between 60 to 100, it just depends on what you want. I don't even get cars, man. I don't even know what a what a normal price of a car is these days. Well, I wasn't going to spend that. I was like, you're at your dang mind if you think I'm going to spend that on a car. Especially the way you drive, woman. What you watch your mind? <laughs> You're so lucky your wife doesn't listen to this podcast. She knows how I think about her driving. There's no shock there. She knows. So uh, so anyway, we're... You know we're your pastor listens to this, right? Like He's going to be like, Pete, we need to talk about loving your wife. I'll be like, fine. You ride in the passenger seat with her driving, and then you tell me if I'm wrong. I will. I will take the hit if I'm wrong. I'm not. Do your research, Pastor. Do your due diligence before you talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> but it was actually like a, an easy experience at 
at this car dealership. Like we went to a different one and they didn't try and screw us over. I tell you how I do it, right? Well, I told you how to do it. Oh, was that you that told me? Yes. Have the contract on the desk, yada, yada. You said, that you? I told you, do it all on the internet. I'm telling you. Okay, so I didn't know I got that from you. I knew I got it from somewhere. Oh, my gosh. Is that I literally, the last car I bought, I, I phoned the guy up. I told him, okay, I've done all this. I checked a ton of sites, found out what I wanted. This is what I want to pay out the door. It's not what they post. I don't want any extra bells and whistles. I don't want any of your boom, boom, boom. I'm going to be there such and such time. Have it all in the desk ready. I want to be in and out there in a quarter of an hour. Done. Best really? you car purchase a, I've ever made. You done it in a quarter of an hour? You did it in a quarter of an hour. Dude, they had everything on the desk. I literally walked in and signed. Wow. Yeah, it was rad, dude. Still took and us the, three hours. Well, the guy told me, he goes, uh, yeah, that was you, you must not have done it online then. We shopped everything online. Like we, we knew what we wanted. We knew you the didn't price that we were going to negotiate over the phone. Yeah, I, I already knew what I was going to do. It's all done. Yeah, I already knew what like, I was going to do. Drop the papers, boom. Yeah, and then we traded in her car, and I mean, I'd never traded in a car before. That was that was pretty easy. I mean, I I, I did the same with mine. Yeah. That's that's why I no longer have my truck and have my wife selling it. Don't you <laughs> feel like though you need a truck? Uh, church planning, yes. I I I I was I've told this to Jamie. I'm like, look, if we had the room. At our house, I would have a truck mm-hmm. because there's that convenience, just being able to throw crap in the back and you're good. Hey, I wrote I wrote a, a blog years ago about if you're church planning, you need a truck. I'm sorry, a Prius ain't going to cut it. I know that's more for your budget, but you need a truck. You, you're gonna you're gonna have when you're church planting, you gotta have a truck. Yeah, yeah. So, well, when we were looking at the Durangos, we saw some of the really high end ones. <laughs> And I was like, if we buy that, you get the charger and that sucker's mine. <laughs> Cause it was That's like, okay. it was like the Hellcat version of the Durango. And I was like, Oh yeah. Well, if you're new um, and you're still here, uh, this is the portion of the show in which we talk smack and it's called smack talk. Not surprisingly. And uh, Pete and I just kind of catch up on what's going on in our lives. So um, we're about to get into the nitty gritty in a minute. And uh, today's topic, by the way, is holiness. I don't know why I said it with a hiss. I know. Like it, what, do you have to like, is there a specific way you're supposed to say that? I don't know. Maybe. Nice. Nice. Should we, should we kick into it? Might as well. Great, Scott. It's time for this week's topic. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. Pete, when I say the word holiness... What do you think of Dodge Durango? Do I need to keep talking about that? <laughs> Meat pies. Ooh, calculate. <laughs> Donut. Mm, it's, it's like those right. scenes in the Simpsons where they go, Homer, what do you think? And it shows like that little X-ray into his head. And it's like little hamsters running around on a wheel. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, what, what do you think? What comes to mind when I say the word holiness? Because I think holiness is super important, and yet we don't talk about it. We're afraid to talk about it. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't say me. Definitely don't think of you. <laughs> Unless we're talking W H O L E ness. Like a hole? No, wait. No, wait. No. No, I'm ne- never mind. No, it's cool. It didn't work. No, I, I knew where you were going. Yeah, no, it wasn't very holy what you no. said. I'm so thinking Swiss okay. cheese holiness. <laughs> what I'm thinking of you. Now, you know that's a tough question because uh, when I think of holiness, I think of the perfection of God, mm. and I would say almost simultaneously, I think. Uh, how incredibly far from that I am. <laughs> so like there's this dual, uh, you know, the perfection demanding of, of holiness demanding of, uh, perfection. And I just think, wow, how far I am from that. Mm, uh, yeah. I mean, for sure. I think, I think you have a, a problem when you go, yeah, I'm pretty holy. You know, I think anyone huh. who goes, do you no. think people think that? 
I do. I mean, I, I think, I think self-righteousness is a, is a problem. I mean, you know, uh, Jesus, when he's talking to, to the, the crowd at the Sermon on the Mount says, Hey, you've heard it was said, do not commit adultery. They're like adultery. Good. Haven't done that. Jesus goes, but you know, if you've thought about a woman lustfully, um, you've committed adultery in your heart. And it's funny because what Jesus wasn't doing there was starting the anti-lust or anti-porn brigade. Um, porn and lust are wrong and you should never do them and destroy your marriage. But what he was trying to do wasn't to create a new harder standard. He was trying to show you, you don't keep the standard. And what, what the church has often done is it takes statements like that and says, oh, well, I, be, I better keep that law now. Don't ever lust. Well, yes, <laughs> don't get me wrong. I'm not giving you a hall pass for lust to everybody. But the reason Jesus said it was to show you, you are an adulterer. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because they thought, I'm not, I'm holy. I haven't committed adultery. Mm. And Jesus is saying, but you are a murderer. It, 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 sin is a matter of the heart. And you are a murderer. You are. It doesn't matter if you didn't commit the act. Now, in the eyes of men, that's very important whether you did it or not. But in the eyes of God, God sees every intent and thought of the heart. And, you know, what Jesus is saying is there's no way you're going to get to heaven like that. And he, he, I would say that the, the, um, the, the key to the Sermon on the Mount is what he says I think it's chapter 5, verse 23, where he says, uh, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So, you know, to them, they're thinking, oh, my gosh, that's like real holiness. That's real righteousness. And, of course, we know that uh, scholars kind of take that passage two different ways. On the one hand, they say, well, obviously, the righteousness that the Pharisees didn't have was the righteousness of Christ. And so it's got to mean that. But then there's an, another cross-section. I would say that, that the good theologians will say, yes, but what about your actual righteousness? Surely you can't just be this like guy who's got all the externals down. Maybe Jesus is also talking about the righteousness that the Holy Spirit brings. Like Jesus had that in mind too, that you actually begin to change from the inside out, that that's also the righteousness. So there's righteousness that's given to us, the uh, imputed righteousness where I'm legally in Christ's standing. And then there's also what theologians call the imparted righteousness, which is the righteousness that the Holy Spirit works out of me as I begin to change. Like when when Paul says about the 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 Corinthians, he says, "I'm in agony until Christ is formed in you." In other words, he was he was like, "Look, I it's an it's agonizing for me to watch you guys being so slow to inwardly transform, right?" And and so yeah, I think there's those two parts. I mean, Peter kind of comes at it where he says, um, "You know, for without holiness, no one will see the Lord." And um, as you read that passage, let me just look it up real quick. Oh, holiness, sorry. Holiness, come on, Peter. Um, oh, that's in Peter, sorry. Called a holiness. He says, First um, Peter chapter 1. Well, Here's the thing is we're so afraid of telling people, you know, or not telling people the gospel, Like The gospel is you're a wreck, you're an adulterer, you're a murderer, you're going to hell, nothing you can do to save yourself, yada, yada. But the good news is Christ will give you his righteousness. So uh, because the church has gotten that wrong so much, whenever you really do talk about the positive aspect of holiness, people get really nervous. They think you're going to go back to preaching a non-gospel or a legalistic gospel, or you're going to go into the danger of Galatians. I'll say, if you think you're contributing anything towards your salvation, true, I contribute nothing towards my justification. But I do work with God on my sanctification, which is an inward righteousness that is produced by him.
So uh, I think these theological distinctions are super important, and we need to to really um, get in touch with it. And, and just Peter, he says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when when Christ comes, he comes with grace for you and me, Pete. He doesn't come with judgment for us. The judgment was already meted out at the cross. You will have no judgment on you whatsoever. But then he goes on. And so you're gonna you're the recipient of full grace. That's all you have to, to expect from him. But then he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, so you also be holy in all your conduct. By the way, this is the ESV. This is the Reformed version of Scripture here. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on a father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing you were ransomed uh, from the feudal ways inherited from your So he's saying, look, you were ransomed from the law, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And um, later on, he, he he comes to a point where he says, for without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So, you know, th- this is kind of the, the, the deal. Um, um, uh, holiness is, is super important. And I, I, I just want to kind of talk about it in light of where I think the church is at and where we're going and why it matters specifically um, to church planner. Um, holiness is one of it, it means to be um, set apart. And I, I talk about this a bit in Reaching the Unreached, cha-ching, where I talk about holiness is really uh, kind of like a, a pathway to power. Um, it's, it's, I hate using that. It sounds like such a cheesy um, book that you'd find in some weird Christian bookstore, but, but it literally is when you're set apart, that means that you're, you're, you're sanctified. That's what the word sanctified means. It means to be set apart. So the word holy means set apart from sin and it means set apart to God. Um, so when Paul in Romans six comes in, he says, therefore, um, yield the instruments of your body as weapons of righteousness, as, as opposed to, he says, don't yield the, the members of your body as instruments of sin or instruments. So you become a tool or a weapon is the literal translation of that. You become a weapon in the hands of God. In Robert Murray Machane, who is a, a Scottish Presbyterian minister, who uh, they literally, they would say that when, when he got in the pulpit, his face would, would shine. Like the dude is super holy. Spurgeon went and saw Robert Murray Machine. It was just, he was humble. He was like, this guy walks seriously with God. And Robert Murray Machine wrote an amazing book. Um, and if, if you've never read it, um, he says this in it. He says, uh, a, a holy minister is a terrible weapon in the hand of God. Um, and, and, and what he means, you know, so by the way, it's called the memoir and remains of Robert Murray machine, that book right there, that book will mess you up. That will change your life. It's amazing. He was a Scottish preacher. And so it, it, he was one of those guys where when you got around him, you're like that dude walk with Jesus. I would say that, um, there's a lot of things that holiness isn't like holiness. Isn't just being obedient. Again, we already talked about the Pharisees. Pharisees were super obedient. But there was nothing godlike or Christ-like or holy about them. They were actually very unholy people. They were murderers. They were all the things that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, they were legalistic. And legalistic people tend to, they focus on all the externals. And, and I think real holiness is what Paul says when he says, for we are all being transformed inwardly, going from he, this is how he says it. He says, for we all with unveiled face reflect the, the um, oh, sorry, um, for we all with unveiled face reflect the glory of God in the face of Christ 
as we go from glory to glory. So he's what he's saying is, as God's glory, as his holiness shines on you, you're being transformed like Moses. The picture there's Moses with unveiled face, that from you being in the presence of God, you are being transformed and you are shining out who God is to people. It's an inside out thing. It's not a, an outward in. It's not like a, you know, behaving or obeying a certain set of rules. Were, were you pausing? I was. I'm thinking at this point I should be talking with you rather than preaching, <laughs> going off on my rant. Yeah. Okay. Uh, here, here's my comment. Dig it. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, I I don't even know if people think holiness is possible anymore. You know, um, I I, I think we live in a a culture that's very much like the the culture of the Corinthians where it's like, well, you know, I I, I love God and I I pray and I, you know, I I go to church and, um, and, and of course, Paul's writing to that culture and he's saying, hey, you guys, like, you're doing stuff that isn't even named amongst the gen. Like you guys are worse than the stuff that's going on outside your, your four walls of church. And, um, and he has to write to him about holiness and he has to write to him about character. Um, you know, I, I don't know what you think about that. I, uh, I don't, I don't know what I think about it in the terms of, And how you're you're bringing it up, you know. One of the things that I, I was debating whether or not I should even mention this on the podcast because this will get people's theological feathers roughed up, and I don't want that to be the point. But uh, there's a great book. I, I think we interviewed the author. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Imagine Heaven. Did we interview him, or did we just talk about the book? Imagine Heaven. Let me see. John something or other, I think was his name. Anyway, the guy, uh, you talked to him, right? Oh, yeah. I think I was on his podcast. Okay. But we've definitely talked about his book. I've read his book. Um, Maybe we did. No, I think he was on Hardcore. Yeah, he might have been on Hardcore. Yeah, he's rad. I love that guy. Well, anyway, he's he's interviewed uh, like a thousand people who've had near-death experiences. And from all sorts of religious uh, backgrounds and and everything, and what I really like about what he did was he he was able in his book to point everything back to the Bible, um, and and so you know you, you've obviously had a near death experience. If you're new to the show, you don't know about that with Peyton, uh, but he's had his own little twenty minute death time here on Earth, right? And um, and I think you would say, like you and I have never actually talked about your experience, but from what you have described on the show, it's different than what anyone thinks when they're thinking of dying. Um, and so the whole book, Imagine Heaven, is all about you know these different people's experiences, their um, their interactions with uh, Jesus. You know, even one gal who was a Jew who goes, I knew it was Jesus, but I'm a Jew. Hmm. I don't believe in Jesus. Right. And so right. And his point was, um, you know, people will even see Jesus and still deny him. <laughs> right. You know, she's looking. I know he's Jesus, but I don't believe in him. Right. I mean, she's like, so here's what I mean by theological feathers ruffled. Um one of the the common threads through many, many, many people who've had a, a near-death experience is what he ends up terming in the book called the life review, where you basically see your life, everything mm-hmm. that you've done, right or wrong. Um, and, you know, people are watching it there with you. And everyone who goes through that is just so ashamed at their actions. So mm. ashamed that, you know, many times like the one specific story he was telling, you know, the gal's like, just stop, just stop, stop showing it. And, and they, I thought it was interesting too, that they said, I, I think there were at times, you know, even angelic creatures who would be watching 
there with you and the like the way that it, that people describe in their near death experience. And again, you know, we don't know, you know, how much of this is just whatever and how much of it's legit. Right. And that's not what my point is. That's why I'm not trying to get any theological feathers ruffled. You know, that that's not it. Even Paul could barely describe his, his, right, right. his uh, near death experience. Um, but the thing that like would, would make them sad, you could almost do any sin, but the one that would really make people sad was like when people would take God's name in vain and they would just be like, Oh, you know, everything else. It's like, yeah, we get that. But you know, we're talking about the almighty here, you know, and it's perspective. But <clears throat> my point in all of this is uh, I, I remember reading that and, and, and again, I don't know, if the people who experience this life review are everybody are non-believers or what? Like he, he relates it back to, I believe in revelations when it says their own words will convict them. Mm. And he goes, you know, it's their own, their actions that are convicting them and they mm. realize what they did. It's, it's like Adam and Eve when they're standing in God's presence with the fig leaves. You know, they, they're like, I got to cover myself. It's unconscious. Yeah. 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 And so, but I mean, in reading that, you know, because God also says, hey, if you ask for my forgiveness, you know, I'm, I'll never remember your sins as far as from the mm. east as from the west. So again, I look at that and I go, hey, yeah. I don't know. Maybe these guys were not believers and they're going through a life review. I don't know if believers go through it or not. I, I don't know. No, that's a really good point. I, you know, it's funny, man. I, I finished reading a book by um, well, let me finish uh, this point. Manning. Let me finish this point. Oh, sorry, yeah. That. Yeah. All I was going to say is I will wholeheartedly admit that's one of <laughs> the fears that I have. And I have prayed to God, God, please. I know the sin and darkness in my heart. I know how unholy I am. Please don't make me relive it. <laughs> When I mm. die, I already know, man. I know. Like, I, that's why when, when you say to me that you think some people actually think they're holy, I'm like, are you serious? Are you crazy? Yeah. Like, who thinks they're holy? Like, right. have you not really looked at yourself? Right. Oh, my gosh. Right. No, you know, it, it's funny because um, – when what 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 happens in the church often is a good doctrine gets hijacked by our fear of going too far. For for example, um, I was reformed for so many years and had the grace thing down. I mean, if you're in the reform movement, you get the gospel, you get the grace of God, the gospel centrality. You know, I mean, all that stuff saturate you. You get all that, um, but. I remember at a certain point starting to feel like, but I'm missing this other stuff. Like there's, there's, I'm reading all these passages that when the Bible talks about the grace, it then gives you your responsibility to live this new life. So um, what we forget often is in the death and resurrection, that's where the grace is in the death of Jesus. And that's where my justification is. But when he talks about being raised from the dead in Romans 6, he says you were raised again to the newness of life, that you may live a new life. So there's this power. It's the gospel of power. And resurrection is the power to live those new, that new life. The Spirit has given us all we need for a life of godliness, he says in the scripture. And when you talk like that, People get scared because they go, oh, here we go, sinless perfectionism, because that might be an abuse or going too far. It's adding to the text. But if we strip away and we just read the text and say, what is it saying? It's saying, you know, and I always tell people, it's not that you're sinless, but you sin less. If the gospel's true, you won't be sinless this side of heaven, but you should sin less this side of heaven. There is a power at work. As Paul says, according to his power that works in me mightily. There's this two laws that work in me, Paul says, the law of death and decay, bondage. But he says there's this new law in me, this law of life that supersedes us. And, and what I love is um, there's always these two things that the Bible talks about. One is justification. That's done. That was done by Jesus. 
But then he, the Bible speaks to sanctification. And, and it's when we blur those lines that we get into trouble. We start reading the sanctification passages as justification passages and vice versa. So in other words, and what do you mean vice versa? Well, like that now that I'm saved, I don't got to worry at all about sanctification. You know, hey, it's not my righteousness, man. It's the righteousness of Christ. And that's why I brought up the theologians that I think are the good ones that go, no, actually, Jesus is talking on two levels here. He's talking the righteousness given to you by God, which is for your standing. That's the legal standing you have. And then there's the every day he is working his righteousness out in us. Right. So like, for example, in Second uh, Peter one, five, Peter says for through uh, through these, he has given us his precious and magnificent pro- promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Now that you have escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And then he goes on to say, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith of virtue. Virtue is a word that means the ideal. Right. That's that's really another way of saying holiness or the good, uh, which was a, a concept that Plato talked about, where it, it really was the closest thing he knew to God. It's another way of saying uh, Peter's using that word there. It is very much that same word that means holiness. And then he says into virtue, knowledge into knowledge, self-control and the self-control, perseverance and a perseverance, godliness. Um, so so here we we have this. He's saying pursue these things. These are elements of your character. That, that you need to pursue. Like, um, and it's weird to me that we're so afraid of not getting the gospel right. Um, and, and to me, I see it as a knee-jerk reaction. It's when the pendulum is swung too far the other. We say, oh, no, don't pursue those things. That's legalism. Well, well no. Once you're secure in the grace of God, notice he started off just like in the other passage where he first talks about this grace you're going to receive at the appearing of Jesus. Here he talks about he's given us, he's precious and magnificent. You're protected that you've escaped the corruption. Then he goes, now your responsibility, right? It's like when he comes in in Ephesians 4, he lays down, you were chosen for the foundation or you were adopted into him. You were justified by his blood. Uh, you were, you know, given the guarantee of the down payment, the deposit of the Holy Spirit guaranteed of the purchase possession till the day of redemption. And then in, in Ephesians 4, verse 1, he says, therefore, I insist on it. Oh, no, sorry. He starts in chapter 4, verse 1. He gets sidetracked, but he comes back to it. I can't remember if it's verse 11 or what, but he says, therefore, I insist on it. I tell you and I insist on it that you no longer live as the Gentiles do. And the futility of their thinking. And he goes on to talk about sexual morality. He says, I insist on it. If this was given to you, then I insist you no longer live. Like, those are fighting words. We don't hear that kind of stuff anymore. And, and what's at stake is what I often tell um, church planners when I'm training them is when we talk character. And remember, Paul always thought character was more important than gifting in the life of a church planner. The reason why is we're not really talking about your character anymore. We're talking about the character of Jesus in you. I mean, that's what the Holy Spirit's doing. He's called the Holy Spirit because he's trying to make you like Christ. He's making you holy, which Jesus was the holiest. Now, Jesus did. He joked. He talked. He you know, did everything that everyone, he was a normal human being, wouldn't have thought anything to look at him, wouldn't have seemed different than anyone else in the human part of him. Um, he didn't sin, though. But you can see he says things that are funny. You can see he gets angry, like he has all the full range of human emotions, just like we do. Um, but there's this deep, whole, like you get around him, you just know that dude's with God. You know, like I always think of Chuck Smith. Do just ooze the love of God, you know, and um, we were talking earlier about, you know, the people in heaven and how they, um, you know, when, when I when I had minor life experience, um, there was a new degree of awe that I had. Um, and I think people got around Jesus and there was this weird dichotomy between how approachable and familiar he was. And yet, how in awe of him. Like you see people falling on their face and they're also in awe of him. And so when you look at John, for example, John, the, the, the apostle 
whom Jesus loved. That's his identity. He loves him. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the one Jesus loved. And they scholars say they seem like they were best friends. Um, at the last supper, uh, John is leaning on Jesus's bosom, um, on his chest. It's, it sounds weird to say bosom, right? You can tell we're like children of the King James. Um, <laughs> somewhere in our life, we read the King James and bosom stuck in, you know, Jesus leaned on his, uh, John leaned on his bosom, but he's, he, he, points out in his gospel, I was so intimate with Jesus. I was leaning up against him. Like, you know, that's how close I was to him. I was leaning up against him um, during the Last Supper, just laying my head on his on his shoulder, on his chest, whatever. I mean, that's that's some dude you just love and adore. Like you you worship him literally. I've never done that to one of my friends. And uh, and don't an, ever do that to me, <laughs> ever. I I can't wait till I get to greet you with a with a holy kiss, as it says. You know, <laughs> you're like that is too far holiness for me. Thank you, but, but like I said, but, unholy. I'm unholy. No holy kisses. But here's John, and I mean, he loves Jesus so much, and John makes a point of telling you in the gospel when him and Peter run to the tomb that John goes, "I won." By the way, I got there first. Um, like he loves John, right? Even Peter's a little bit threatened by John. What about him? He points at John like he, Jesus is telling him, do you love me? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, well, what about John? Like you could just tell there was a closeness and intimacy with John and Jesus. And yet, and yet when John sees Jesus on the Isle of Patmos as intimate and as dearly loved as John knew he was, he says, I fell down as one dead at his feet. There was still that majesty and awe because of God's holiness, because of Christ's holiness. It was like, you know, like he says, at his revealing, you know, uh, we will re- be partakers of grace. We will receive grace at his appearing. Like, that's what happened with John. Jesus puts his hand on his shoulder and says, don't be afraid, it's me. But his natural inclination is to fall down as one dead. He can't help it. Mm. You know, like those people that had those experiences with God. It's just because when we're before him, even Moses goes, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling, he says, when he's standing on the mount. You know, even even the apostles, you know, uh, when they're up there with Jesus and he's transfigured. I mean, they're, God has to cause a mist and cause them to be a little bit sleepy because it's too much. It's too much for him. And that's God's holiness. And man, I, when I was in Wales, I had the weirdest experience. I don't really have time to talk about it, but I'll just give the, the Cliff Notes version. Like there were times I was spending, we we're in this old cottage and I was holding myself up just saying, God, I just want all you are. I want everything you are. And, you know, of course I'm, I'm in this transition of my life. So my life's completely up in the air and I, I don't want to screw it up. So I'm just saying, Lord, you know, meet with me. And um, and I, by the way, let me just say a disclaimer. I know that I need to be fully covered by the blood. Please don't misunderstand anything I've said today. I am dependent on the blood of Jesus or I drop straight like a weight into hell, like immediately. You know, like I'm old school on that. Um, the gospel is my only hope. What Christ did is my only hope of salvation. But what... Um, I was really just saying, Lord, be with me. And God was just revealing to me like deep sin, like, like stuff that I never saw. Like the more I was, cause I was spending like hours, like every day in prayer, like everybody was all jacked up. I was up at like four in the morning. My family was sleeping and I just had loads of time and no internet connection at this coastal cottage. And it was heaven. And I don't know how to explain it, but it's kind of like when you get night vision, your eyes adjust to the dark and you think you can see pretty good. And sometimes in my spiritual walk, I'm walking in night vision. I think I see things. And then God starts really shining his light of holiness and I start seeing my attitudes and my thoughts. And I'm like, this is oh my gosh, Lord, I didn't see this, you know, um, before. And it, there was some, there was something where it just might be one thing. And God was just, you need to give this to me. 
like you need ministry. Like it's not like God's damning me. It's like it's like it's more like it's cased in love. Like the Lord's saying, Don't you think it's time to give me this now? Like, don't you think that it's time to, to surrender this? And, and and it's like where David was where he goes, Surely you desire truth in the inmost parts. Right? Like he's saying in the very core of my being, you want truth. You want you want everything to be considered. You want holiness, the inside to match the outside. And that's the kind of stuff that was happening. And I'll tell you, I had the weird experience. I got to tell you this, Pete, because this, this is the story I was going to tell you. And I know we're running in the end here, but um, I was driving to Lampeter. Everybody knows my story, knows that I felt that a church really hurt me. Um, and and <laughs> uh, granted, looking back, I would do things differently now. Um, and, and back then they were all the devil and I was all the angel and this and that. But I, I, I do think there was wrong done and probably on both sides. But in that posture, as everything was going on back then, I wanted reconciliation the whole time and I kept pushing for that. And so my heart pastorally was broken. Um, but I still saw myself as the victim. You know, it took years and years for God to kind of say, well, you know, to show me things. But anyways, I was driving down that road. And always when I drive down that road, it's like there's a, a portion of that town that I drive past and I have to think there's unfinished business here. And one day I'll get in heaven and, you know, all those people I know, everything will be covered under the blood. And I've, I've striven to forgive them. and But I got to be honest, I was too much of a coward to ever go face those people. Like I wished for the last couple of years I could just walk into that cafe that we opened up and just walk in and say, hey, I'm here and just want to give you guys a hug. And Andrew and I prayed on the road. And as we did, I felt the spirit just boom, like kind of <laughs> I'll say this. So like take the driver's seat, but you'll make the joke. Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> it wasn't like that, but it was like. It was like God was in control. I don't know how to explain it. And I looked at Andrew and said, hey, you want to go knock on their door? And all day long, we had people to see and people to minister to and some company to catch up with. But that night at 8 p.m., I knocked on their door and we went in and we had a chat and we hugged and didn't even didn't even bring it up really other than I said, Hey, I just want to let you know, you know, I love you guys and um, didn't want to get to heaven and this not be finished. And, but it was totally the Holy spirit, man. Like I, I remember just thinking that was literally the Holy spirit coming into my heart that day, doing something that I was not strong enough, brave enough or holy enough to do. And God just somehow, to, I, I don't know how to explain it. Um, preachers, you know, this, sometimes you're in the pulpit and you're like, that wasn't me. Right. Um, I got to say that day, that wasn't me. And I take great encouragement to the fact that the Holy spirit is that real that he can actually inhabit us and work his purposes through us, not just in a pulpit, but outside. I felt like that day, that was the character of Jesus working out his will through my life, like in a supernatural way. Right. Like, I don't, I don't know how to explain it other than that. Mm. But, but to me, that's true holiness. It's, it's inward change. And I, I want to close with a quote that I read recently. I'm not going to tell you where it's from. <laughs> I read very widely, but, uh, this, it, it says this note that righteousness comes first and knowledge afterwards. He's commenting on that Peter passage. He says, it cannot be otherwise. If you expect revelation from God apart from holiness, you will have only a mixture. Holiness opens the door to all the treasures of God. He must first bring us to the place where we, like our Lord, love righteousness and hate sin before he opens up to us these good treasures. When we regard iniquity in the hearts, in our hearts, the Lord does not hear us, says David, and it is only as we are made righteous and pure and holy through the precious blood of God's Son that we enter into this life of holiness and righteousness in the Son. It is the righteousness of our Lord himself made real in us as our faith is stayed on him. And uh, I'll, I'll just leave it there. I love you, man. <laughs> all right, well, guys, you know, while you're, while you're spending all your time getting holy, uh, you don't have a lot of time to do your, your bookkeeping and 
you know, all your, your church accounting. Pete, as a former treasurer, how did you take care of all that? Uh, I made just uh, justify church. I made simplified church. (laughs) 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 Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) Justifychurch.com. Justified sin. Never, uh, never before.com. Uh, Josh Henry, he took care of us. He hooked us up, did it all. Yeah, he's been a longtime sponsor and a longtime friend of church planners, he himself being a former church planner. If you guys have not used Simplify Church, not only do they do bookkeeping, they also do virtual assistant work. I got to tell you, his staff is incredible. I've worked with Ginger and Brienne, and I've actually worked with another person. I can't remember her name, but Ginger and Brienne have been like home run hitters, man. So if you get a chance – um, check out simplifychurch.com. They'll handle your bookkeeping, VA, you name it, man. Payroll, boom. I dig it. Well, hey, this has been Church Planner Podcast. Peyton Jones and Pete Mitchell reminding you if you want to reach ones no one's reaching, you got to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music